on our local communities, we can find a way to get through this together. A Georgia's chief election official announced Wednesday, November 11. These men and women in my office will continue to follow the law and count every legal vote. As it stands today, 97 counties have sent their, num their final numbers in. The current margin stands at 14,111 between the president and Senator Biden, Vice President Biden. My office will continue to investigate each and every instance of illegal voting. Double voting, felon voting, people voting out of state. If you report it, we will investigate it. With the margin being so close, it will require a full by hand recount in each county. This will help build confidence. It will be an audit, a recount, and a recanvas all at once. It will be a heavy lift, but we will work with the counties to get this done in time for our state certification. That was the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger speaks during a news conference November 11th in Atlanta. Georgia's chief election official announced Wednesday that the state will conduct a recount by hand of every ballot cast in the presidential race with President-elect Joe Biden narrowly leading Trump in the state's vote count. President, in just over two months, and when it's all said and done, he's likely to win the Electoral College with the same number of votes as the man whose job he's taking. We had a massive landslide victory, as you know, in the Electoral College. I guess the final numbers are now at 306. So America wants a moderate behind the resolute desk. Down ballot? Not so much. Democrats lost seats in the House. Most of those seats were held by moderates. Progressives largely stuck around. And that kind of mixed result is causing some drama in the Democratic caucus. Sloganeering kills people. Sloganeering destroys movements. Stop sloganeering. We need to not ever use the word socialist or socialism ever again. Because while people think it doesn't matter, it does matter. And we want I believe that many Republicans were very effective at digital organizing and strategy as well, whereas the Democratic Party is still mm -hmm. campaigning largely as though it's 2005. And I know a lot of us don't want to hear this, but 2005 was 15 years ago. It's not strange for parties to reconfigure and have family fights after an election, but with what could be a pretty slim majority, every little fight matters a bit more. I need everyone to ignore the chaos and <laughs> <laughs> pretend like everything is put together. Uh, I think... In a couple of weeks, I will feel a lot better when I know where uh, my plates are. So to get into what's going on, and more importantly, what it portends for the next two years of the Biden administration, I called Heather Cagle. She covers House Democrats for us. A moderate Democratic president, progressives winning more down ballot, and overall the House losing seats. It seems like it sends a kind of a complicated message for President-elect Biden and the House and the Senate on governing. 
Yeah, no, you're totally right. I think if we had seen kind of a, a democratic sweep, and not just in the sense that they picked up seats in the Senate and took over control of the Senate, but also that they did not lose seats in the House, which, like you said, is what we saw, then I think it would have been more clear that Democrats have a mandate to govern, and that is definitely not clear at all. So I have this theory that um, President-elect Joe Biden, the compromiser, the man who kind of cut his teeth working across the aisle, is going to use this kind of up-in-the-air, divided government environment um, and do exactly what he's promised, right? Like, reach across the aisle, force the Democratic leaders in the House and Senate to moderate a bit, maybe compromise a bit. But at the end of the day, this is a guy who is not comfortable with terms like abolish ICE, defund the police, ban fracking. Having these very slim majorities in the House and Senate where you really are going to have to have some kind of like more moderate proposal to get through both to get to your desk, that helps him because he can go to the progressives and say, you guys, you don't have the numbers in the House and Senate to get these much more far left bills to me. We're going to have to do something that can actually get done. And I think that's definitely a place where he's more comfortable. So there's been some public beef happening on the Democratic side in the caucus. Um, the matters first versus the progressives, I guess, um, as it were. There's some soul searching, and it seems like they're at their throats, at least publicly, a lot more than is normal. Um, tell what, what what's happening there. Going into the election, and even on election day, Speaker Pelosi and like her top lieutenants, they did not put a number on it, but they said, we are going to pad our majority. We're adding seats. We are competitive in places where we have never been competitive. Arkansas, Montana, you name it. We're going in there and we're adding Democrats. And then at the end of the night, you know, they lost seats and there's a lot of hurt feelings there because of that. The progressives are saying, well, you guys didn't spend enough money on digital. You didn't, you weren't out there door knocking like you should have been. And the moderates are like, no, you guys throw out these crazy phrases that turn our voters off and we get tagged with like socialism, defund the police, whatever, you name it. Republicans just ran the ads ad nauseum and we couldn't outrun them. If we go back to 2018, when they came into the House, a lot of stories were written about how these two sides had not figured out what its ideological core was and they were fighting over it and we were going to see this play out for two years. And really, like, we did see some of that, but really what we saw was a lot of them staying together and staying on the same message and united against a common enemy, which was President Trump. So now Trump is out of the White House and these issues that were papered over for a long time are bubbling up. And I think for moderates, a lot of moderates that I've talked to are really mad because they spent two years kind of, they feel like, tiptoeing around progressives because they didn't want to be put on blast on Twitter by AOC or whoever, right? Yeah. And so they just kind of like tried to work behind the scenes and it still ended up costing them seats and a lot of their friends are going home for reasons that they don't think they should. And so the gloves are off. Good evening, everyone, at 10.35 p.m. on November 11th, and we salute and honor our military personnel, active duty, retired veterans, and 
those in training and those enlisted waiting to go to training. We salute and honor you all and thank you for your sacrifices, your service, your dedication. The following is NBC News from their Associated Press four hours ago, 6.35 p.m. Pacific Time. The article is titled, Voters Have Spoken, So What Are Next Steps to Make It Official? This year's election was not the last step in selecting Joe Biden as the next American president. <coughs> Under a system that's been tweaked over two centuries, there is still a week-long timeline during which the 538-member Electoral College formally selects the president. A look at the key steps. <coughs> A look at the key steps when American citizens voted for Biden or Trump. They really were voting for electors in their state. Those electors in most cases are committed to support the winning candidate in the state. The number of electors is equal to the number of electoral votes held by each state. State laws vary on how electors are selected, but generally a slate of electors for each party candidate is chosen by state party leaders. States are still counting and certifying the results of the popular vote when the count is completed. Each governor is required by law to prepare, quote, as soon as practicable, end quote, documents known as, quote, certificates of ascertainment, in quote, of the vote. The certificates list the electors' names and the number of votes cast for the winner and loser. 
the certificates carrying the seal of each state are sent to the archivist of the United States. <coughs> December 8th, deadline for resolving each Correction deadline for resolving election disputes at the state level. All state recounts and court contests over presidential election results are to be completed by this state. Trump's campaign is contesting the vote count in several states through legal challenges, but none of these efforts are expected to alter the outcome. <coughs> December 14th, electors vote by paper ballot in their respective states and and by and by we have a uh, voice recognition software jumps up every so every now and then when it hears when it recognizes my voice it will jump up Functions like Alexa or Siri and some software programs to to do an automatic voice search, but and if this go away it will Electors vote by paper ballot in their respective states and the District of Columbia. 33 states and D.C. have laws or party regulations requiring electors to vote the same way the popular vote goes in the state. In some states, Rogue electors can be replaced or sub subjected to penalties, according to the Congressional Research Service. The votes for president and vice president are counted, and the electors sign six certifi certificates of the vote. <coughs> <coughs> 
the certificates along with other official papers are sent by registered mail to various officials including the president of the senate December 23rd these certificates must be delivered to the designated officials if they are not delivered the law provides alternative avenues for getting the results to Washington. January 6th, the House and Senate hold a joint session to count the electoral votes if one ticket has received 270 or more electoral votes the President of the Senate, currently Vice President Mike Pence, announces the results with the verdict in some states still to come. Biden already has won enough states to be awarded more than 270 electoral votes. Members of Congress may object to returns from any state as they are announced. Objections must be made in writing by at least one member of the House and one in the Senate. If the objection meets certain requirements, each chamber meets separately to debate the objection for a maximum of two hours. Afterward, each chamber votes to accept or reject the objection. Back in joint session, the results of the respective votes are announced. Any objection to a state electoral vote has to be approved by both houses in order for any contested votes to be excluded. If neither presidential candidate got at least 270 electoral votes, the House would decide the election based on the 12th amendment to the Constitution. If required, the House would elect the president. Each state delegation has one vote and it takes 26 votes to win. January 20th, Biden takes the oath of office on Inauguration Day. Biden picks longtime aide Ron Klain as Chief of Staff. President-elect Joe Biden named, named Ron Klain 
a veteran of Capitol Hill, to be his White House chief of staff, the transition team said Wednesday. Klain is a longtime Democratic operative who has strong ties to Biden, largely as his former chief of staff during Biden's first year as vice president. He also coordinated the Obama administration's response to the Ebola outbreak, giving him both familiarity with Biden and important credentials as the COVID-19 response will consume Biden's opening months. Since being the projected winner of the presidential race, Biden has been focused on building a team that will enter the White House with him on Inauguration Day as he looks to fill several thousand jobs in his administration. People familiar with the process told NBC News there are roughly 200 positions in the White House that would be filled immediately and at some key government agencies. Once that's complete, sources told NBC News that Biden will turn to building out his cabinet. The news of Klain's appointment was first reported by the Washington Post. Warren lays out list of day one policy priorities for Biden-Harris. Senator Elizabeth Warren is laying out the policies she hopes the Biden-Harris administration prioritizes while also making the case that progressive policies were a key ingredient to the party's success in 2020. Quote, we need to have an important conversation about building a 50-state party that can win up and down the ticket, she wrote in an op-ed for the Washington Post. Quote, but with a hobbled economy, an international health crisis, a vanishing middle class, and widespread racial inequities, we also need to answer another important question. How to deliver on our campaign promises and improve the lives of the American people. End quote. The policies that the out the policies that she outlines for the Dems to tackle on day one will come as no surprise to those who followed her plans during 2020. Cancel billions in student loan debt. Lower drug prices for key drugs like naloxone and 
EpiPens, Occupational Safe and Healthy Administration Regulations, $15 minimum wage, Collect and Report COVID-19 Racial Disparities, Anti-Monopoly Protections, To read this is to see Warren's outside-in theory of change on full display. This type of op-ed is not quite a threat, but certainly a shot across the bow that she will be a policy referee during this Democratic administration from the other side. Pennsylvania Avenue outside the White House. Makes Me Sick by Sahel Kapur seven hours ago. Quote, Makes Me Sick. Georgia Republicans seek to ride Trump shock to holding Senate control. Marietta, Georgia. Conservative voters are shocked by how election day turned out in Georgia. <laughs> but now Republicans are trying to convert the anger at Democratic successes into GOP wins in January. More than a week after the election, some Republicans continue to cling to hope that a recount will reverse precedent. <laughs> President-elect Joe Biden's lead here and hand Trump a victory in a state that hasn't backed a Democrat for the White House in nearly three decades, while the state remains, quote, too close to call, end quote. Biden is currently ahead by about 14,000 votes. GOP Senator Kelly Loeffler is battling Democratic Raphael Warnock in a runoff. Senator David Perdue's race against Democratic John Ossoff is rated close too close to call by NBC News by NBC News but the Republican has begun to mount a runoff campaign bending 
to the possibility that he may fall short of the 50% threshold to win outright. Both parties seem eager to make the Senate racist a referendum on whether Biden's party should control Congress if Democrats were to grab both seats held by Loeffler and Purdue, it would deliver control. It would deliver control of the Senate chamber to their party. Quote, the road to social oh boy, here we go. The road to socialism socialism does not run through Georgia. End quote. Loeffler told the crowd at an event here on Veterans Day. Quote, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, you're not going to take Georgia. Close quote. Some conservative voters in the state say they are astonished and upset to see what they consider safe Republican territory slip from their grasp. Purdue and Loeffler have echoed Trump's insinuations of impropriety in the election, which are unsubstantiated, but believed by some of his followers here. With no evidence, I have to add. They're just throwing out wild statements with no evidence and no proof. Quote, there's so much voter fraud, it makes me sick, said Jill Hovey's 70 of <laughs> Kennesaw. Quote, I think Hollywood has bought this election, the far left mob. And the media have bought this election. It's not fair. It's a complete fraud. End quote. And my reply is, it's only fair. In their opinion, it's only fair if the Republicans win. (laughs) Okay, nobody else can have a legitimate win. Continuing, there has been no evidence of pervasive voter fraud in the United States, but Trump Trump has insisted it's to blame in places where he trails Biden here and where he leads. There, oh, there's no no voter fraud where he leads, <laughs> even without Georgia. Biden has won enough states to become the next president, NBC News projects. (laughs) Uh, Let's see if there are any more good news stories here. Uh, 
no dead people did not vote in Philadelphia elections, boss said. Eight hours ago, published by Daray Gregorian. Philadelphia City Commissioner Al Schmidt said Wednesday that despite claims spreading in conservative circles online, there is no N.O. evidence that any dead people voted in the city. <laughs> uh, quote, I have seen the most fantastical things on social media making completely ridiculous allegations that have no basis in fact at all and seen them spread. End quote. Schmidt, a Republican co-chair of the three-member panel in charge of the city's elections, told CNN in, in an interview. He cited a re report about, quote, a long list of people that they said were dead voters who voted in Philadelphia. So when he took a break between everything else that we're doing, so when we took a break between everything else that we're doing, we looked it up, each one of them, to see what their vote history was. Not a single one of them voted in Philadelphia after they died. <laughs> End quote, Schmidt said. The conspiracy theory was shared last week by Rudy Giuliani and Florida Representative Matt Getz, among others on the right. Well, we know what, ah, uh, we know that automatically lets you know it's, you can't take it seriously. These are, this is the famous Rudy Giuliani that held a uh, press conference a couple of days ago, maybe the end of the last week, or the weekend after the election. They were supposed to have a press conference at the Marriott or one of these big hotels, and whoever did their scheduling their event planner dropped the ball. It wasn't there. It was held at some hardware store <laughs> by the name of Marriott next door to a funeral parlor and another little small mom-and-pop store. And they were laughed at. They were laughed at by so many people. And they just continue to make blooper and blunder. Yeah. Well, 
it, it wasn't the first time. They're not really surprising anybody. Okay, the next article from NBC News app says Trump met with advisors about path forward. Oh, let's see, he lost by over 5 million votes. And he's meeting with advisors about a path forward. And people still want him to run the country. I mean, this is really, that's the shocking part, that people want him to run the country after a million people, over 10 million, I'm sorry, over 10 million in this country have already been infected with the virus. COVID-19, and close to or more than a quarter of a million already have uh, passed away, but still these people are upset angry, insisting on having this man in the White House. I mean, this is something that I don't know if even Alfred Hitchcock or Rod Serling could have written a sci-fi horror flick to top this. This, oh, mm -mm. water this. Uh, people have been uh, damaged mentally and spiritually by this administration. They are so damaged. going to be a lot of people that whew, they're going to need prayer and mental health mental health support and everything else it's just a, it's a tragedy I think the one upstairs finally stopped yelling and screaming a little bit since uh, since he's been following this administration he must have voted for this guy in the White House and he's sad to say he's he's in real bad bad shape yells and screams all day, all night, has to stay medicated or hospitalized or something. It's really tragic. 
what's happened to the uh, the citizens that voted for Trump. Somebody, an attorney or somebody needs to protect these people because some of them are damaged so severely mentally. Well, let's see if there's anything in this article. Trump met with advisors about path forward. President Trump met Wednesday with top advisors to discuss the path forward following last week's election. A White House official and a separate person familiar with the meeting told NBC News, among these attending, Jared Kushner, campaign manager Bill Stephen, and campaign senior advisor Jason Miller. On Tuesday, the president held a similar meeting that was focused on the status of the legal challenges per the White House official. That was the end of that. The next report by Carol E. Lee, Peter Alexander, Halley, Jackson, and Monica Alba posted 10 hours ago. Trump may accept the results, but he'll never concede he lost, aides say. There is a growing expectation among President Donald Trump's advisors that he will never concede that he lost re-election even after voters are certified in battleground states over the coming weeks, according to multiple people familiar with the president's thinking, quote, do not expect him to concede, one top aide said. More likely, the aide said, he'll say something like, we can't trust the results, but I'm not contesting them, close quote. Another advisor said that after the legal battles and recounts, the closest the president is likely to get to a concession is, quote, he'll acknowledge the result and that we'll never know how accurate they are. End quote. How concessions have smoothed presidential transitions in the past. It's a video. there will be ads so we may have to wait a couple minutes for the video
kind of like what one of the um, one of the articles that I read and posted online already says there's no such thing as an error f- error free election. Even after the most bitter battles for the White House, the losing candidate concedes, helping to bring the country together in a peaceful transfer of power. We owe him an open mind and the chance to lead. The American people have spoken, and they have spoken clearly. That was on display just four years ago, when Donald Trump pulled off a victory that stunned the world. The bruising 2016 race was decided by fewer than 80,000 votes in three states. Hillary Clinton, who won the popular vote but lost the Electoral College, was visibly shocked, but still urged Americans to unite the next day. We must accept this result and then look to the future. That same week, President Obama and the First Lady hosted then-President-elect Trump and Melania Trump at the White House. Then Vice President Biden also welcoming his successor, the two leaders speaking out from the Oval Office. My number one priority in the coming two months is to try to facilitate a transition that ensures our president-elect is successful. I very much look forward to dealing with the president in the future. But it was the late Senator John McCain who may have delivered one of the most consequential and widely praised concession speeches. McCain lost a hard-fought battle to the junior senator from Illinois, Barack Obama, the nation's first black president. McCain not only called for unity, but celebrated the history-making moment. This is an historic election, and I recognize the special significance it has for African Americans. In 2000, the Democratic Vice President Al Gore conceded not once, but twice. First, on election night in a phone call to Republican George W. Bush that Gore later retracted when the race in Florida became tighter than first projected, ultimately coming down to just over 500 votes in this single state. But five weeks later, after a messy vote count and Supreme Court decision, Bush proved victorious, and Gore called once again. Just moments ago, I spoke with George W. Bush and congratulated him on becoming the 43rd president of the United States. And I promised him that I wouldn't call him back this time. So far, President Trump, who has never been much for tradition, has not yet conceded, claiming without providing any evidence that there was fraud. President Trump is trailing by millions in the popular vote and was unable to win enough states to claim an electoral college victory. The counting process was slow in some states, in part because of increased early and absentee voting amid the pandemic. The longer Donald Trump refuses to concede this election and pass power to Joe Biden, he's really never standing he's going to have in the history books. A first-term president lost an election was 1992. That was former President George H.W. Bush, who was defeated by political upstart Bill Clinton. His message to the president during his concession speech, America must always come first, so we will get behind the new president and wish him well. Savannah and Hoda. And let's go back to the election for a moment. As we know, the Trump administration is is pursuing whatever claims it may have, uh, trying to bring them before a court. And reporters are actually trying to fact-check and see if there are any examples of actual voter fraud, uh, particularly in any number that would change the outcome here. Uh, What can you tell us about that? 
Well, the latest example of that, Savannah, comes from the New York Times reaching out to dozens of election officials in multiple states all across the country. And the Times found there were no instances of fraud, according to these officials, and no instances of voter irregularities. Now, of course, that does contradict the narrative that is being put out by President Trump that there was some fraud. But it's important to underscore the fact that he has yet to provide any evidence to back that up. We have not heard from President Trump in five days. Yeah. The, the Times looked at, uh, talked to secretaries of state of both parties and called officials, I think, in all 50 states. So, um, you know, people are staying on it to see if there is anything to this at all. And we'll continue to do so. Kristen, thank you. She, uh, Savannah Guthrie, Guthrie or Guthrie, she's trying her best. She is trying to get blood out of a turnip to appear objective. But um, she doesn't have to bend herself into a pretzel. I, I, she doesn't have to fear Trump. He has lost the race. And I think it was the head commissioner in Philadelphia a Republican that told him last week, told him on air when Trump was whining about dead people voting and a fraud and this and that. The head commissioner told him it's time for him to put on his big boy pants that he lost the race and Joe Biden won. And there are Republican secretaries of states in these key places like Georgia, Pennsylvania, other places that are basically saying the same thing. If Trump lost and there's no second count, <laughs> that will make him the winner. He's the loser, or like he says in John. Carrie, uh, what is Carrie the comedian says loser <laughs> Jim Carrey on Saturday Night Live he said loser <laughs> yes indeed he's the loser now he wanted to label everybody else as a loser, including our precious heroes that go to war so that he can enjoy freedom, so that he can enjoy a life in the lap of luxury. But he says they're all losers for going to war going into the military. All I can say is what goes around comes around. All right, Jeff Taylor wrote 11 hours ago, Biden talked a big game on LGBTQ rights. Here's what his agenda may look like. And we're almost
almost out of time, so I'll start another another segment so we don't run out. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening in. It's 11.20 p.m. on November 11th, 2020. Yeah, we survived. We've come a long way. And we would never have had the success of this show, of this podcast, without you all. I do appreciate you. And I've told you many, many times, I have uh, told you many times, this is not a, uh, a, what you might call, uh, high-powered podcast. This is just your grassroots podcast from... Someone like myself that just learning how to use the Anchor app and this all the other streaming apps. So, like I said, I'm learning and I'm willing to make all the bloopers under the sun just so we can have information. And why shouldn't we? Okay, again, I appreciate you. Tuning in to the show and tuning in to the companion show called An Even Bigger Fly on the Wall. Thank you for support supporting both of those podcasts. They are um, so much inspiration and um, they provide me with... Uh, more than just entertainment during this uh, pandemic time. You all have inspired me. I'm thinking maybe I should. I'm thinking about it. I don't know whether I will or not, but I am thinking about, well, maybe I should go sign up for some more of USC's classes and learn some more skills and continue with um, audio production and social media production um, video production just continue with the uh, communications and we'll see what time what time permits what's ahead in the future. The best we can do with this pandemic is to take care of our ourselves and each other. So, but it does seem that uh, former Vice President Joe Biden will be looking out for those of us who are drowning in stu- <laughs> student loan debt and if he does if he makes some sacrifices for those of us who still have student 
student loans choking us to death. And that may make it possible for some of us um, old school people, throwback people, to go get more education. We're never too old to learn. And the world changes so fast until shame on us if we don't hold on and keep learning. But again, I thank you all for supporting the podcast. I was satisfied just learning the software and posting information, whether anybody listened to it or not, that was okay. I just wanted to have it posted there in case someday it might, it might be useful for anyone, including myself. I thank you all for listening in and hope it makes your life better. Okay, Jeff Taylor wrote from the NBC News app, Biden talked a big game on LGBTQ rights. Here's what his agenda may look like. Just a week after election day, President-elect Joe Biden is doubling down on promises made to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer Americans during his campaign and signaling his intent to reverse course from the Trump administration, which was marked by several rollbacks in LGBTQ rights. Quote, the president-elect and the vice president-elect put together the most comprehensive plan to advance equality here at home and abroad ever put forth by a presidential ticket. I'll read it again. Quote, the president-elect and the vice president-elect put together the most comprehensive plan to advance Equality here at home and abroad ever put forth by a presidential ticket and as a result it lays out a pretty strong blueprint on what the incoming administration can do. Quote, end quote. Reggie Greer, the Biden's 
teens, LGBTQ engagement director, told NBC News that ambitious platform includes pledges to enact the Equality Act, reinstate Obama-era guidelines preventing anti-LGBTQ discrimination in areas like federal contracts, fight against broad carve-outs in anti-discrimination law on the basis of religious beliefs and the transgender military ban. Oh, correction, end the transgender military ban and eliminate LGBTQ youth homelessness. Biden has also set a goal of ending the HIV epidemic which disproportionately affects gay and bisexual men as well as transgender women by 2025, five years ahead of the goal set by Donald Trump during his State of the Union address this year. Making good on every goal is unlikely as it is with any broad platform, but the Biden team is confident in their ability to enact major reforms. Greer said, signing into law, the Equality Act, federal legislation that would add LGBTQ protections to existing federal civil rights law is a, quote, top priority regardless of Senate control, end quote. Let's click. It says you can read more here. Okay, the new ones, once you click, it takes you to an article that says out.
politics and policy. Biden talked a big game on LGBTQ rights. Here's what his agenda may look like. The president-elect has an ambitious platform, including passage of the Equality Act in his first 100 days. But can he deliver? It may be the same. It's by Jeff Taylor. Everything looks the same so far. Let's scroll and scroll. Scroll and see what happens. Okay. Protections to existing federal civil rights law is a quote top priority regardless of Senate control. Okay, we'll pick up from there. Quote, President-elect Biden and the Vice President-elect Harris have spent their entire careers forging bipartisan coalitions to get bills through the Congress. They have relationships that will assist in advancing protections for LGBTQ plus people broadly, end quote, he said. The outcome of that and similar battles could rest on Georgia's Two Senate seats. One has not yet been called by NBC News, and the other is headed for a January 5th runoff. The Equality Act has already passed the House but it has been held up without a vote by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky. I think they're trying to say he won't put it to a vote in the Senate. Pray, people. Everyone is praying for the Georgia runoffs to fall to the Democrats from Georgia. Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, they're up against the two, the two GOP Senators from Georgia, they're in a uh, too close to call, and the other one is in a runoff. So the people in Georgia keep asking us 
They keep asking us to to pray with them that they win the the uh, Senate race runoff. They vote January fifth. No, they vote before then, or at least before January fifth. Okay. Let's go. What does this say? Diverse transition team announced before any bipartisan agreement can even be attempted. Biden must strategize how to run a country facing a pandemic, a beleaguered economy, and an elect deeply divided along partisan lines. Because Trump has not yet conceded the election, the General Services Administration, the agency in charge of handling the transition from one administration to the next has yet to recognize Biden as the winner. Still, Biden has said he will push ahead and he has already begun to meet with advisors. To that end, Biden announced his transition team on Tuesday with a press release stating, quote, 40% represent communities historically underrepresented in the federal government, including people of color, people who identify as LGBTQ+, and People with disabilities. End quote. One particularly notable LGBTQ member is Sean Skelly, named as part of the Department of Defense Advisory. Team. Skelly, Sean Skelly, became the first transgender veteran appointed by a president when she joined the Obama administration in 2013. The Victory Institute, an organization that advances LGBTQ elected officials, has partnered with around 30 other LGBTQ 
advocacy and allied organizations like AIDS United, Human Rights Campaign, and the Transgender Law Center to compile a list of qualified LGBTQ candidates for the Biden transition team. Teams consideration for appointments and is hopeful this trend of diverse representation continues. Quote, Joe Biden has made clear that he wants the next administration to be reflective of the diversity of America. In quote, Elliot Ims spelled I-M-S-E, Elliot Imes, the Institute's Director of Communications, told NBC News, quote, and we know that Biden believes LGBTQ people are an important part of that diverse America. So we expect the next administration to appoint more LGBTQ people to political positions than ever before. And we hope that it is also the most diverse group of LGBTQ appointees in American history, close quote. The list has yet to be made public, but Imes did share several names of those they intend to put forward to the Biden team, including former Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg of South Bend, Indiana, for ambassador to the United Nations. Senator Tammy Baldwin, Democrat from Wisconsin, to head up health and human services. Dr. Rachel Levine, Pennsylvania Secretary of Health for either the Health and Human Services Secretary or Surgeon General and Representative Mark Takano, Democrat from California for Secretary of Veterans Affairs. The Victory Institute has asked 
the Biden administration to appoint at least one LGBTQ person to a Senate-confirmed cabinet position, which would be a first as former acting director of national intelligence, Richard Grinnell was not put through the confirmation process. In a recent interview with Philadelphia Gay News, Biden would not commit to appointing an LGBTQ person for a cabinet position, instead saying simply that he would nominate and appoint federal officials and judges that represent the diversity of America, including LGBTQ individuals. Additionally, the Victory Institute has said it wishes to see the appointment of the first LGBTQ Supreme Court Justice, which IMES Imes admitted is a bold, quote, bold goal, end quote. Quote, there are a lot of things to consider when appointing a justice, but there are plenty of openly LGBTQ people qualified to lead on the Supreme Court, end quote. He said, the human rights campaign, the country's largest LGBTQ advocacy organization has also released its big list of asks from the incoming administration called quote the blueprint for positive change 2020 End quote. The guidance was released on Wednesday morning and it too includes a call to appoint an LGBTQ Supreme Court Justice as well as LGBTQ federal judges, executives, officials, and ambassadors. HRC is also calling on the Biden-Harris administration 
to end the debunked practice of conversion therapy which aims to change someone's gender identity or sexual orientation. According to LGBTQ Youth Advocacy Group, the Trevor Project's 2020 National Survey on LGBTQ Youth Mental Health, 10% of LGBTQ youth reported undergoing conversion therapy with those who had done so reporting more than twice the rate of attempting suicide in the past year compared to those who did not. Quote, a major way to end LGBTQ youth suicide would be to end conversion therapy. So I truly hope that President-elect Biden puts that plan into practice. End quote. Sam Brenton the organization's vice president of advocacy and government affairs said. Buckle in, buckle up your seatbelt. It's growing longer and longer. NBC is very thorough as we've learned. They do the research. Brenton said they hope to see Biden advance this goal through educating the public that conversion therapy remains an ongoing problem, preventing federal funding from going to it and encouraging its ban globally. The LGBTQ platform put forward by Biden includes a pledge to ban conversion therapy by working to enact the Therapeutic Fraud Prevention Act, which would prevent its commercial practice with a note that the Obama-Biden administration supported legislative efforts to ban it as well. HRC's blueprint also calls for establishing interagency working group to address anti 
transgender violence and to protect LGBTQ rights abroad. Biden's LGBTQ platform also includes a promise to ensure asylum laws protect those fleeing prosecution after the Trump administration sought to make it harder for them to do so and addresses support for the trans community in a number of ways. Buckle up. We're not done. This is NBC and they never finish reporting. They just stop. (laughs) They just stop because they run out of time. Support for the transgender community during his acceptance speech Saturday night. Biden made history as the first president-elect to thank transgender people. It was reminiscent of his exchange with the mother of a transgender child during a town hall in October where he promised to fight against anti-trans discrimination saying there should be quote zero discrimination end quote Biden has addressed the issue throughout the campaign and his platform includes a plan to work toward ending the epidemic of anti-transgender fatal violence, which this year has hit an all-time reported high, according to HRC, which has been tracking trans deaths since 2013. Part of that initiative is a focus on seeing the proposed violence against women reauthorization act of 2019 2019 passed and signed into law which would expand LGBTQ protections including for transgender inmates. No, they're not done yet. There is much more. The platform also says a Biden administration would include LGBTQ status in federal data collection 
to help better track anti-LGBTQ violence in part by updating updating the FBI's Uniform Crime Reports Supplementary Homicide Reports to include sexual orientation and gender identity or expression. Additionally, the platform includes strengthening enforcement of the federal hate crimes law. The Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crime Prevention Act by increasing funding for anti-bias and hate crimes investigation training. Ah, that's, I think that's the one that not too long ago Trump struck down the program. There was a proposal to train federal employees for anti-bias and discrimination and Trump either canceled it and defunded it or just canceled it. Oh, he's done so much evil. Who can keep track? Continuing a sense of hope while no administration can expect to achieve all it endeavors to accomplish. Many in the community seem to be breathing easier with the prospect of a Biden-Harris <coughs> excuse me <coughs> seem to be breathing easier with the prospect of a Biden-Harris administration taking up residency in the White House come January. The transgender activist, writer, and artist Lara Americo told NBC News she was encouraged by Biden's mention of the trans community during his acceptance speech, saying it reminded her of when the Justice Department under the Obama administration challenged North Carolina's House Bill 2, a so-called bathroom bill that would have prevented trans people from using public facilities that align with their gender identity. Quote, 
I think while they're probably going to disappoint us about certain things here and there, I'm very hopeful that it will at the very least be as good as it was when Obama was in office. End quote. Americo said of her hopes for LGBTQ policies under a Biden administration. Brenton is similarly optimistic. Quote, it is powerful both to see a president using the word, quote, transgender, end quote, in their victory speech, and a vice president who has openly supported LGBTQ youth for years, Brenton said, quote, I'm looking forward to them using their words and their actions in tandem to save LGBTQ life, end quote. Ah, NBC finally finished their article. Well, they stopped. We can't ever say they finished. That's not true because they have so many links. If you go to the NBC News app in your app store, then this is uh, November 11th, 2020 that we're reading. We're reading the NBC News app from Wednesday, November 11th. Excuse me, from Wednesday, November 11th. If you want to go back to your app store and see all the links, they have plenty of links to other reports that they've done. Even though this one is, I can't tell you, I would say, We have recorded for over 42 minutes just this one article. But for them to write it and type it up, they would print down, oh, they didn't tell how many minutes it takes to read it. Um, It just took me a little extra because I'm extra. I always have to throw in my my commentary, so it takes me extra long to read it. So. <laughs> but if you want to go back, you'll find it in the NBC News app. And the title again: "Out Politics and Policy." Biden talked a big game on LGBTQ rights. Here's what his agenda may look like. 
you'll find that article and then before this article there was another real long article that we read before we read this one and it's real long so be prepared to spend mostly most of an hour if you're going to read this and follow through with all the links see it's going to take you a lot of time you won't do it all in a big rush because there's a lot of um, blue highlights but then they have included other articles that you can click on that's how NBC news rolls they have they have it going on so much information yeah. yeah, that's there will be um a night and day difference once Joe Biden and Kamala Harris is in in the uh driver's seat there will be so much improvement. Not perfect, nobody's perfect, but we're going to see big difference. I don't want to get my hopes up high that this uh, pandemic is coming to a speedy halt. I don't want to go there, but I do want to believe that we're, we're going to come up. We're going to come up out of it rather than to continue to sink farther and farther behind um, from March until now, November. Oh, that's close to a year. We have been falling further and further behind. We'll take two steps forward with the uh, pandemic take two steps forward and ten step back ten steps backwards here in the state of California so it's not easy for people it's very difficult called for people to think about doing this again all of 2021 and beyond but that's what the experts are saying. Dr. Fauci did say that the chances are that, well, this was before he, before this week, they were announcing more hope with vaccines this week. But months ago, he was saying that at the minimum, we would continue our pandemic protocols for 2021 and beyond he said it he meant it he said it and nobody could make him change it okay well thank you all for listening and we have to have information so 
Like I said, I appreciate you all for tuning in and telling everyone to tune in. And I really do. I really am grateful for your listening in and your um, supporting. And I really hope that you're safe and healthy and your family and friends all are healthy and safe or improve if they're not well. I hope they improve because nobody asks to be sick or injured or unemployed or to have um, any type of pandemic or tragedy. No one asks for that. So we'll have information to guide us step by step. It may not happen as fast as we like, but in time we'll make we'll make it. We'll survive. We'll come out stronger on the other side of this pandemic. Okay. Thank you for listening and stay close because the um, it's now November 11th, but they're doing recounts. So we'll be listening. We'll be hearing more stories about the recounts and all the aftermath of the election and keeping up with all the hot topics, the pandemic news, and the uh, everything that's going on, all the hot news, we'll try to grab onto as much of it as we can. As a matter of fact, I looked for as many apps today in my app store that I could download, and um, if there are anymore we'll just keep on top of everything that we can okay stay well now